I wanted to really change my career and focus on real estate full time, which I eventually did in 2021. Uh, and so I just wanted to grow faster. Awesome. What um, what was the the pivotal moment to uh, change over to multifamily? I think I. CEO of Appleman Properties. Today, we're joined with Tony Castronovo. Tony is a managing partner with uh, Novo Multifamily Group, is a seasoned real estate investor and managing consultant with over, uh, over 1,150 units to his name. He also leads Grit to Growth, coaching entrepreneurs to design intentional lives. Tony, we appreciate you coming on today. If you could let everyone else know a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I am thrilled to be here, Josh. Uh, actually, that 1,150 units is literally as of yesterday. So we just closed nice. on 257 units in Texas. And uh, yeah, it's uh, I think my my ninth multifamily property I've been a part of um, different capacities. And before that, really kind of pulling back the, the real estate curtain here back in 2014 is when I started in the space and, and single family, actually. Um, probably like some of your listeners, uh, just buy and hold, doing a little bit of flipping, just cutting my teeth in real estate. And then in 2018, decided to pivot fully into the multifamily space. Awesome. What um, what was the, the pivotal moment to uh, change over to multifamily? I think I had a good process and system after about four years in single family and and started to get very comfortable with with adding on more properties into my my portfolio, but then I started realizing, man, scalability is tough here, one yeah. unit at a time, and and just thinking about how long is it going to take for me to get to really where I want to be in this journey, because I didn't want to just do it as an investment on the side. I wanted to really change my career and focus on real estate full time, which I eventually did in 2021, uh, and, and so. I just wanted to grow faster. Yeah, yeah, faster, less, uh, more units under one roof or single roofs versus multiple. It's the maintenance. Um, everything's economies of scale with multifamily. It um, helps you um, to manage everything a little bit better with budgets, money, and people. Awesome. Yeah, and, and there's there's one other aspect of it is it is more of a team approach. It's more of a business. I mean, nothing against being in single family. You can certainly grow that to be a phenomenal business. But what I found was that my first multifamily, I learned the hard way. I opened my checkbook to buy it. I, I had no idea. I thought I would just buy it like any other property. And it was a lot of pain. I had 100% of the profits, but I had 100% of the risk and the liability. And, yeah. and, you know, and so I learned about being a part of syndications and being a part of larger properties that truly are running a PL. And, and there's all kinds of roles from asset management to capital raising, capital attraction, investor relations, you name it. And, and I like being a part of businesses. Yeah, for sure. And, and like you said, you can have more people uh, to the table that uh, can help partake. You have uh, professionals that can do your asset management piece, your um, your capital raising if you need, the uh, sponsor, the KP. I mean, you, you're bringing some high-level people around in one deal and um, and getting it to the closing table. 
the um talk to us a little bit about the uh, the deals you just closed yesterday uh if you could let us know how you found them um the debt that you use going through the approval process and now you're getting ready to execute on a business plan i'm sure so if you could just uh take us through the journey yeah and and honestly i'm gonna have to just be a little high level on it because yeah. Um, it's one of those those situations where uh, right at the last minute, the lender decided to reduce our loan proceeds. And so we have just a little bit of post-close uh, raise, po- post raise to do on it. So I can't really publicize too much of the deal at this point Got it. on air. Uh, but but I'll tell you, you know, some of the, the background on it. It's, uh, it's a 2013 build in the Houston MSA. And one of the fastest growing communities in the Houston area. Uh, one of the reasons why I really like the property is just because my partners have kind of done the same vintage, same same builder, 10 minutes away, multiple properties that, that are all very similar to this one. And which means that there's consistency and confidence in the business plan. And like you said, you know, getting ready to roll up our sleeves and, and go do it. Absolutely. I mean, literally, as soon as we inked it, guys were showing up, you know, with the trucks ready to roll, hanging a new banner, you know. So it was it was uh, just a, a process that we just need to kind of unfold and let it, you know, take its course. And boring real estate is good real estate for me, right? Consistency yeah. in the operations is really what I'm after. So. Yeah, that's the skinny. So what kind of um uh business plan do you all have on this particular property? Are you are you renovating all the units, um bringing them up, refreshing refreshing them or are they already renovated? Yeah, so as you might imagine with a 2013 build, it's still in great shape. Uh it really just becomes adding amenities and and trying to bring it up to a standard of new builds that yeah. we might compete with. Um but it's it's garden style. It's it's got lots of of great amenities from fitness center to dog park to amazing outdoor space with the pool and barbecue areas, and we're just going to refresh a lot of that. And then on the interiors, we we have a whole new palette for for how we're doing everything from the kitchens, the appliances, etc. So we're gonna we're gonna definitely put money toward about a hundred units, give or take, and bring them up to another standard. Got it. Awesome. Is that the, uh, so the value add component here is just refreshing. And then I'm assuming that the, uh, the rents are lower than surrounding properties. So you'll, you'll be able to bring them up to market. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Got it. Very good. Very cool. Um, so tell us about some some of your other properties. What's um, maybe a journey down your favorite property through finding it, putting in our contract and uh, closing and then um, what took after, uh, took part after the closing. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe I'll pick, how, how about this? I'll pick my most challenging property. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So it was property number two. And so I was, I was a year into property number one and that was what I call an IRO independent real estate owned. So I opened my checkbook. It was all me. But I was learning the multifamily space and making great connections with contractors and property managers and so forth. So I felt after a year that I I had my sea legs, so to speak. So now I'm looking for property number two. And along that journey, I had been trying to surround myself with people to make me think bigger. 
So the first one was was a 20 unit property. And I was patting myself on the back a little bit. Hey, I got my first multifamily. And and guys that I was surrounding myself with are like closing 140, you know, 200. And and not that unit count makes a big difference, but but again, this is a business. These are PLs. And that's really what I was aspiring to do. So I said, well, how can I do something like that? And so I, I started learning about syndication. I started getting more acquainted with potential partners. And so I found a, a mentor of mine that was able to KP on my deal. And, and a little bit more than KP, he, he was truly a general partner, mostly to help me with credibility because I'd never syndicated a deal, as well as to, to be a balance sheet partner and, and help me sign on the loan. Um, so that that's how I got into that deal. It was a 60 unit. It was about two, two and a half miles from my first property, which made it part of the story and, and the scalability, the efficiencies with working with different vendors. And then really where, where things started to kind of go off the rails a little bit was I bought it three months before COVID. And so we immediately got in there and, and late 2019 and started executing our business plan. I got contractors in and out, you know, renovating units and, you know, we're, we're doing all kinds of stuff. And then all of a sudden we just hit the brakes and literally I could not show a unit without putting a lockbox on the unit and letting somebody self show themselves, which is a disaster. So my property manager could not actually be on site showing potential uh, residents any of the units. And so that was just the beginning of a series of challenges with, you know, eviction moratoriums and, you know, everybody's kind of dusting the cobwebs off right now, listening to this about all that we went through just oh, yeah. years ago. Right. But that was the challenge that, that I was living in. And we had to pivot to make that a success. Yeah. Yeah. That was definitely a, a big deal to overcome in the middle of, of the unknown for sure. And um, you closed right before everything. So that's, uh, that's good information. That's cool. Um, and you had mentioned mentorship. So I know we wanted to touch on this topic because um, that, that's huge to succeed in, in really in any business, including in life is to have uh, mentors that have already been there, done it and kind of paved the way. Uh, can you can you touch on uh, mentorship for us for the listeners? Yeah, of course. You know, a lot of my mentors have been informal. So this person actually I had known from my corporate days. We probably knew each other for literally twenty years. At that point, we would always compare notes because I got started in real estate before he did, but he went straight into multifamily and never even touched single family. So he was ahead of me there, and so there was always this informal mentorship between us. And when it came to doing syndications and multifamily, I leaned on him pretty heavily. And, you know, that was a great relationship to, to take advantage of there. But formally, I I joined a, a program. I'll, I'll just kind of put it out there, a little plug, the Jake and Gina Wheelbarrow Profits Program. Uh, that was something I got involved with about two years ago. And, you know, it's one of those programs that, you pay into, you're getting the education, you're you're getting a community, you're getting the network. And, and it's really what you put into it that you're going to get out of it. I know that's very cliche, 
But if you just join a program like that to say, oh, they're going to teach me everything I need to know about multifamily, and then they're going to just, you know, hand me deals to go take down, it's not going to work that way. Yeah. Right. When you go to the events and, and you know, do some networking, everything, the, the magic, if you will, happens outside the classroom. It's, it's the happy hours. It's the dinners. It's, you know, like when I go and travel to some of these events, 6 a.m., I, I work with a, a group of folks that we go out for a run. And a, a lot of, you know, relationships are built in those those opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. That's a hundred percent. And those relationships that you, that you make in those, uh, those events, I mean, you're the energy that you can be in a room is, um, is just huge I mean, compared to say a zoom meeting, you're, you're handing out business cards and you're finding out what everyone's um, capabilities are and you can, you can create a pact. And then that's your general partnership. <laughs> everyone, everyone brings a value to the, um, to the team um, and being there live with people. It's a, it's a different energy. It's um, yeah. It's good. And- you you've got to invest in people right so you you can go to an event with an agenda of well i'm going to i'm going to learn this aspect of multifamily real estate that's great but you should also have an agenda for relationships you want to cultivate you're going to meet people you're going to meet a lot of people and maybe it's you know 30,000 foot but then over time, you want to go deeper with a set of individuals that maybe you connect better with, mm-hmm. and ultimately start to form partnerships. Yeah. And I think I also read on your bio that you um, you help entrepreneurs get to the next level as well. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. So maybe you're, you're hinting on my coaching business a little bit. Uh, for sure. I'll put the plug in there. If you want to elaborate a little bit on that and just to let the audience know uh, what that's about. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I mean, I think that here's something that I I took away. Okay, so anybody looking to quit a W-2 job and go straight into real estate and live this life of entrepreneurship, here's what I learned. Think of a conveyor belt and you, you purchase an asset, a multifamily building. You put it on your conveyor belt and, and if it's a syndication, maybe it's running for five, six years. And eventually when it comes off the conveyor belt, maybe you've you've reached a point where that might spill into two properties, let's say, right? If you double your money in five years, you take the proceeds and you put it right back into real estate and put two assets on your conveyor belt, metaphorically speaking. Okay, but after you put one on, maybe you put two on and three on and four on. Well, the goal is to get your conveyor belt running to the point where it's perpetual. You're not pulling money out of your bank account to get into real estate. Your deals are helping you get back into real estate, right? That's when you have something in the way of income. Along the way, you're building wealth. But if you want income and you don't have a W-2 job, you need to find a source of income because you got to get to that first asset coming off your conveyor belt. And that could be five years. So what do you do? When I realized that, I, I said, well, I don't want to go back into the corporate world. I want to stay as an entrepreneur. So where can I bring value? And I went through a bit of an exercise that I called the honeybee approach. And it basically starts to evaluate different streams of income. And, and you go through it by, by thinking about what are you passionate about? Where are your skills at? 
what time commitment is this going to take from you? Is it scalable? You, you go through a series of, of questions. And what percolated to the top for me was all things around coaching, training, mentoring. I was a consultant for 25 years. I worked for companies like Ernst & Young and Accenture. And so obviously that's in my background, but I wanted to put a spin on it and say, okay, let's look at the world of coaching. And I didn't approach it like, well, it's just like consulting. I went and immersed myself in a formal certification program for nine months. I literally was working hours and hours every week to become a certified coach. You could say that I'm certified to be a coach for all things, life coaching, business coaching, you name it. But my niche is entrepreneurs and business. So I launched last year in my entrepreneurial coaching business. I help entrepreneurs to step out of their corporate job and and once they do to actually work through all things that come at them from business to personal you name it on the business side i also work with experienced business owners if you have an established business then i can help you grow revenues reduce costs ultimately to drive profits in your business and i have a very formal methodical approach for going through that an entire playbook that i take my clients through Nice. Very cool. And that can be, um, that can add a huge value to someone's journey in life just from going, uh, getting the, the confidence from stepping out uh, on their own and uh, doing what uh, what's driving them. That's for sure. Absolutely. Josh, if, if you've never had a coach before, you, you really need to consider it. I, I'll be honest. I never had a coach. I never had a coach until maybe a year ago, a true coach. And then all of a sudden I had multiple coaches and I was meeting with coaches every week and it is phenomenal. I don't know how I ever got this far without one. It's accountability. It, uh, if you have somebody there that you're answering to, that's not, uh, um, I'm going to say someone close to you, like an outs uh, outside person that, um, that, that really taps you on the shoulder and keeps you in line with, with what your goals are. It, um, it helps you accelerate to your goals, keeps you, uh, keeps you intact. That's uh yeah, coaches are it's just even to have someone there to talk things through and go go through the decision making process to have someone get their get their side of the opinion, it helps a ton for sure. Totally agree. Um yeah, absolutely. You know, here's the thing about a coach. The difference between coaching, consulting, mentoring, a mentor is somebody who is who's been there, done that, and gonna show you how you should do it if you want to have the kind of success that they had. A consultant has their own agenda and they're going to come to the table and basically describe an entire approach of how you need to get from point A to point B. A coach works with the individual who already has the answers. If I'm coaching you, you already know what, what you need to be doing. It's my job as a coach to help pull that out, help you recognize that. And then once you see it, like you said, hold you accountable to taking action. Yeah. Yeah. If your, um, if your goal is you know, uh, just call it a, a thousand units, they're going to, you're going to break down how you're going to get there and then making sure you're taking the action steps to get there. It's uh, totally agree. Um, very cool. On the real estate front, what areas are you all focusing on? Uh, I know you just closed in Houston. What, um, what areas are driving your focus? Yeah, so that, that's a key point is pick a market, right? If you're new into 
to real estate in general, you can't be an expert in every market. And so for me, I started in Houston because I used to live there and I know the area very, very well. And literally, you know, just on the other side of the tracks, you know, so to speak, can be a totally different type of asset than on the other side. But I've also focused on San Antonio and the Oklahoma City MSA. Those are my core markets. I've also invested in places like the DFW area. Uh, I've got a property in Waco, Texas, which is kind of in between, you know, maybe DFW and and Austin area. Uh, But basically, Texas and Oklahoma have been my markets. Very cool. What um, what kind of considerations are you taking in your all's underwriting as far as interest rates? And um, are are you all doing a refinance in your time horizon or five to 10 year holds? You know, we we will consider a a refi if we're doing bridge financing. it it has to work without it though. Yeah. Right. So, you know, interest rates are what they are. And I think the biggest thing for everybody has been the volatility of rates and from getting a property under contract to getting to the closing table, it takes longer than it used to. Mm-hmm. And so there's so much variability that could happen. And that's what has, you know, kind of challenged a lot of, a lot of investors, but, as things start to stabilize, and if you're very conservative in, in the projections on your interest rates, and and really the entire you know debt financing, I think you'll be okay. You know, but but you got to stick with your numbers, and that might mean that you're going to put in an offer that's a lower price than than perhaps the seller is willing to accept. But but yeah. stick with it. The other thing is rent growth. We've all gotten so used to this heyday of double digit rent growth, crazy rent growth over the last couple of years. And, you know, it's back to fundamentals. You know, there's still some areas where you can be pushing five or 6%, but, you know, three to 4% is probably more where you should be underwriting in most markets. So That's stable. Those are stable, stable metrics for sure. And that's, um, uh, your your expense growth goes up three percent. Your your rent growth goes up three percent. They they zero each other out, but that's that's conservative underwriting for future years. Uh, yeah, and I I think everybody always you know looks at taxes, which especially like in Texas, you're gonna you're gonna have crazy taxes. Uh, but insurance insurance has gotten like off the charts. Yeah, and so that is something that again knowing your market. You really need to understand what the cost per door is for for insurance, and it's gonna it's gonna vary wildly from market to market. Yeah, I did uh, did hear something about Florida. They're um, they're working on um, passing a bill or some kind of legislature to help with the insurance costs in Florida because the amount of impact it's taking on homeowners just in general. Uh, Florida, I think it's almost uh, you're almost unable to even underwrite a property because of the amount of, of insurance costs, it's just, it doesn't make sense yeah. um, for sure. Uh, so what's the future look like for you, Tony? So I think the future is I, I have this uh, three-legged stool, actually. And one thing that we didn't talk about, I'll just mentioned briefly, but the three-legged stool for me is I'm still very much focused on multifamily real estate. My focus. My lane has been more on the capital attraction, capital raising side of the business. Uh, I I have done asset management and could still do that, but it's not really the 
the operations that get me excited. So I focus on more the, the capital side, the investor relations side. I will probably do three deals this year. Um, the first one kind of tied me up for a little longer than, than I would have liked. Uh, I did four multifamily deals last year. So I, I'm probably going to do three this year. But multifamily, one leg of the stool. My coaching business is the other leg of the stool. Very much focused on, on growing that aspect of my business. And then the third piece is that I kind of dovetail the coaching and the real estate together. And I provide fractional CFO services for real estate companies. So I, I work with a team and and I get to sit with owners of real estate businesses and help them look at their finances and make good decisions to grow their businesses with the lens of finances. And it it's not just multifamily. I work with wholesalers, flippers, uh, short-term rentals, you name it. So that's just something that I think fits very well into my background and experience. Very cool. And um, uh, for the listeners, well, you know this, but there's there's different accounting methods. There's a different accounting language for different businesses. Your um, your tool hardware store has a different accounting language than multifamily than real estate. Your manufacturing has a different accounting. Accounting's accounting. You still. You, uh, but as far as like capex capital expenditures you're going in to renovate a unit you're going to be spending money on flooring on countertops on cabinetry on light fixtures on plumbing those are capital expenditures and those go below your line below your net operating income they don't go in as an expense and lower your NOI and those are things that that you help people see through and, and properly put the accounting methods in place uh, to essentially help not devalue their own property and take uh, advantage of depreciation at the same time. There's um, there's different languages and different nuances that uh, that you need to be made aware of, or even uh, just know, so that you're not uh, essentially hurting yourself. And Tony, that's that's what you come in and do. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, you hit it right. There's there's certainly that. Also, something that I see a lot is a lot of operators will will not consider like a cost of goods sold. And by no stretch am I going to say I'm a CPA or bookkeeper, but anybody who's looked at financial statements and, and run a PL needs to consider how they're reporting some of the expenses that they have. When you when you keep things just as as an operating expense, then certainly everything kind of comes down to net income. But when you're looking at the profitability of your business, you really need to consider, is this an expense that is a direct relationship to having this property or this asset? And if it is, it needs to go in a cost of goods sold so that you look at your gross profit margin. A gross profit margin is going to tell you how profitable your business is. And if you're doing, say, flips, you want to know from flip to flip, is this a profitable deal or not? You got your overhead expenses for your company. And those are things, obviously, we can do an expense analysis and help to fine tune as well. But that's the cost of you running your business as a whole, whether you do one flip or, or 100 flips, right? So you got to kind of split these out a little bit, and it's going to help you really look into your business and know whether you've got a profitable business or if you've got multiple business lines, where you're getting more profitability versus another area. It might help you kind of fine tune the way you approach your business. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that, that helps uh, seal any kind of leaks you have in your cup. Keep on putting money in your cup and it falls out of the bottom. So if you know where your leaks are at, keep keep the cup filled. I like it. Yeah. Uh, so, Tony, if somebody wants to get a hold of you and find out more about yourself, your company, invest with you, how can they get a hold of you? Well, we can certainly put it in the show notes. Uh, we will. Yeah. Mention a few different businesses, but I'll keep it simple. Probably the best way is through my real estate company, Tony. T-O-N-Y at Novo, N-O-V-O, multifamilygroup.com. Cool. Awesome. Very cool. Can I find you out there on social media as well? Of course. Of course. Very good. Very good. Tony, we definitely appreciate your time today. I look forward to following you and seeing how big you grow, man. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Tony.